0: One of the many people who made a tremendous impact on my life when I was growing up was Billy Graham's father-in-law, Dr. L. Nelson Bell, who had been a missionary in China for many years. He was a distinguished surgeon, and uh, he invested most of his life overseas. Uh, When the Maoist revolution occurred and... Uh, Americans were forced out of China. He came back to the states and continued to have uh, a medical practice, surgical practice in Asheville, North Carolina. And he continued to write and speak in ways that impacted many lives. I was privileged as a kid to skip the, the uh, children's Sunday school class in my teens and go hang out in the kind of the senior adult Sunday school class where he taught. And I would just sit Sunday after Sunday to hear him because he was such a faithful proclaimer of God's Word and a wonderful teacher of the Bible. But um, one of the things that he emphasized and that I've seen played out in many situations across the years is in order to receive the good news, first you have to receive the bad news. He was a surgeon. If a surgeon walked up to you and said, hey, I'd like to cut you open, you probably would run the other way with good reason because no surgeon worth his salt is really excited about the opportunity to cut people. But they do that in order to save people. And so in order to be willing to appreciate the surgeon, you've got to know you have a problem. You have to recognize that something is wrong. I want us to look at two examples of apostolic preaching this morning. The first is in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22 I'm going to read verses 22 through 24, and then skip down to verse 32 through 41. This is God's Word. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. Baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now look over in chapter 3, the very next chapter, beginning in verse 11 and reading through verse 26. Peter has just been used by God to speak healing to a man that everybody knew was crippled. And beginning in verse 11, this is God's word. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring... All peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. I'm sorry to say that in my opinion... We live in an age when many people who call themselves evangelical, Bible-believing Christians want to preach the good news without telling people the bad news. And furthermore, they'd really rather not call people to repent. And so what we have is just Good news. Good news. Good news. And that's popular because it feels good, but it's not the full gospel. Look again at the pattern. Peter very clearly, very forcefully confronted the sin that these people had committed. He didn't just talk to them about, and I know we've all failed in various ways. He said, you killed the Messiah. You killed him. You saw the miracles he did. You saw the healings. You experienced miracles among you. And yet, you killed him. When Pilate was ready to let him go, you demanded his crucifixion. Peter, I think you need to tone it down. I mean, I know it's, what you're saying is true, but many people are going to find that upsetting. These people found it upsetting. But instead of getting angry at Peter, they were convicted by the Holy Spirit. And they said, well, what do we need to do? Peter presented the good news to them and called them to repentance after he had confronted them with their sin. After they had said, what do we need to do? How do we make this right? You and I, if we love people, have to be willing, when the Holy Spirit tells us to, to confront people with their sin. Now, I will tell you, both from Scripture and from personal experience, that many times the most effective way of confronting someone else with their sin is admitting yours. Does that make sense? I am told that a major influence in the conversion of Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, was the time he spent in the Middle East on a trip his daddy had sent him on to deliver something to some people who were helping the poor over there. He was accompanied by a mutual friend, his friend and mine, Preston Parrish. I am told, not by Preston, but by another person, I'm told that when Preston would pray at night, confessing his sins to God and asking God to forgive him and cleanse him and change him, Franklin was so convicted. Because Franklin, Preston was a Christian. Franklin was not. Franklin's father was the most famous evangelist in the history of this last century and arguably, in terms of worldwide fame over decades probably the most famous evangelist since New Testament times. But guess what? He wasn't saved. He'd heard the good news. 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 But when he saw his friend, Preston, asking God to forgive him, confessing his sins to the Lord, God used that to convict Franklin. Because Franklin thought, man, if he needs forgiveness... I really need forgiveness. And he was correct. So I would suggest to you, if you're wondering, how can I talk with this person about the fact that they need Jesus? You might talk with them about the fact that you need Jesus. That there's no hope for you apart from Jesus. Because you and I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we come across to other people acting as if, you know, you're a sinner. You are a sinner. You're a sinner. But they get the impression that we think we're pretty good. We're going to have zero credibility. The reason is because anybody who knows anything about us knows that we need a Savior too. Amen? Amen? All of us but we can't skirt around the fact that we really do need a Savior. We really have sinned, and it really is bad. The consequence of our sin is that we deserve hell. I don't deserve a slap on the wrist. I don't deserve a few years in jail. I deserve eternity cut off from God. And so... Peter, in both of these messages, confronted these people with the fact that they had participated in Jesus' death. So, you know, uh, those people are all dead now. And I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anybody today. and None of my friends or acquaintances uh, were around back then. And yet, if we understand what Jesus did, we realize that he died because of our sin. He died because there was no other way for us to be saved. We weren't standing there saying, crucify him, crucify him. But when was the last time that you knew what God Wanted, and you chose to do something different. It's the same heart. It shows which side we would have lined up on. Because unless you're willing to receive Jesus as Lord, you're ultimately saying, crucify Him. So the apostolic preaching consistently confronted people with their sin. Gave them the bad news. But then, when people were saying, what do we do? Gave them the good news. What Jesus experienced was for our salvation. He died... Not just to give us a better chance, he paid in full for our sin. When he said it is finished, it's because it is finished. It is finished. The debt is paid in full. He doesn't do part of it and we do the rest. He paid the whole thing. That's good news. 2016, my aortic valve was no longer allowing enough blood to get through to oxygenate things like my muscles and uh, my brain, useful things. And so I was failing. And the doctor said, we can fix that. And so I let him cut me open while I was asleep. He cut me open. He stopped my heart, stopped my breathing. And for almost half an hour, I had no pulse and no respiration. he worked on me. And then they restarted things. And the heart didn't start correctly. (laughs) So they had to start it again. The second time was a charm. (laughs) I'm so glad. Because you know, sometimes it just doesn't want to restart. I knew going into that surgery that I might wake up in heaven. And I said, oh no, please don't let that happen. No, I didn't pray that. I said, Lord, I trust you. Whatever you do is best. And I woke up in the recovery room at Emory. But here's the thing. I had to trust somebody else to act on my behalf in order to save me, while I was powerless to do anything about it. I didn't go into the pre-op saying, uh, "Dr. Chen, just so you know, I'm going to be right there with you." Okay, I'll. You just let. Me, if there's something I can do to help, you just tell me what you want. No, he didn't want my help. He wanted me essentially dead while he worked on me, okay? He didn't need my help, you understand? God doesn't need your help to save you. If you think, well, God does this part, I'm going to do the rest, you have not understood what it is to be saved. But let me tell you what happens when you're saved. You start obeying God. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, you begin to see things you used to find appealing as being repulsive. Why? Because they're repulsive to God. In both these passages, the apostolic preaching could not be more clear or emphatic. Repent. Repent. And repentance always includes turning from sin. It's not a change of mind that results in nothing. It's a change of mind that results in a change of direction. A change in behavior. I use the illustration over and over again of driving. And making a U-turn. If you're driving and you recognize I'm going the wrong way. And you just keep going that way, you have not repented. Repentance means you realize you're going the wrong way, and so you turn around and go in the right way. Sadly, some people are just doing donuts in the road. That's not repentance either. Okay? Okay. repent if we fail to call people to repentance we're not really giving the good news because jesus didn't die simply so that we could be forgiven he died so that we could be made new so that having been forgiven our lives would be transformed in fact the bible says he came to destroy the works of the devil How seriously does God take sin? Look at the cross. How much does God hate sin? Look at the cross. And yet why does God hate sin? Because God is love and sin brings death. the old heart valve that was not doing its job. I have it in a little jar on my mantle. No, I don't. I never, he didn't show it to me after the surgery. Hey, this was, see see right here, this is what was wrong. I don't need that old thing. You understand? I do know people who've kept body parts after surgery, and I, I think that's crazy. All right. Why do you want the old? Why do you want that which brings death? Well, you know, could, could we hang on to that in case this one ever goes bad? We might want to put that one back. No. No. Repent. Repent. Turn away from sin. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I got a lot of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. This is God's word. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. Jesus came to save sinners. So if you decide you're going to just attach yourself to some sin, and that's your identity now, and people need to love you the way you are, you need to know you're not going to heaven. If I had said, you know, this is the valve I was born with, and uh, I you know I don't I don't want anybody how dare this doctor tell me I, I need to change? He's just telling me the truth. I guarantee you if he had not done that, I would not be standing here preaching today. I needed surgery, major surgery in order to live. The famous actor Alan Thick, some adults will remember him. Basically, my age had the same problem with the same valve at the same time I had mine. He didn't get his fixed. He died right about the same time I had my surgery. Let me tell you something. All of us have a problem. We were all born sinners. Nobody had to teach us how. Parents don't do that. Sometimes parents model sinful behavior, and kids certainly have an idea of how to be uh, pretty obnoxious. But, but the fact is, parents don't sit there saying, okay, now, honey, today we're going to work on selfishness. You need to be more selfish. That's not what parents do. Sometimes our society does it. it was, I heard a message yesterday from a guy. It was a commencement address at a university in Ohio. And the speaker gave 10 lies that our society tells us and that are especially popular in commencement addresses. The first lie was, you can be anything you want to be. Now, educators in America have been saying that to children for generations, and it's never been true. But sadly, we now seem to have a generation that actually believed it. You can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. No, you can't. Okay? I wanted to be 6'4". I did. I'm not. But I wanted to be. I thought it'd be great. God said, Not the plan. Years ago, D. James Kennedy asked his neighbor, Are you a Christian? His neighbor said, Well, I try to be. Jim Kennedy said, Have you ever tried being a giraffe? (laughs) You see, you either are or you aren't. But we live in a world where, no, that's not okay. Don't tell people that. Guess what? If a person stands around with his hand in his jacket saying, I am Napoleon Bonaparte, he's crazy. You understand? He's crazy. Well, he's got the hand in the jacket. That doesn't make him Napoleon Bonaparte. Bonaparte's dead. Well, maybe this is his reincarnate form. No, it's not. The second lie he pointed out was the theme song of a children's television show in the 1970s. Very popular children's television show called The Electric Company. The theme song of that children's show said, How many of you ever saw The Electric Company? Yeah, okay. The theme song said, The most important person in the whole wide world is you. That's what it said. Every time kids watched that show, that's what they were told. Guess what? It's not true either. Not true. But we seem to have a generation that believes it. Everything is about me. How does this impact me? And then we wonder why we have to have books being written on narcissistic personality disorder. We have a society of narcissists. When Barack Obama became president and his speeches had the word I in them over and over and over and over and over and over and over, I sat there and I said out loud... I cannot believe that someone who is such an obvious narcissist got elected president. And then we got Donald Trump. <laughs> oh. I didn't think it was possible to be more of a narcissist than Barack Obama. But Donald Trump did it bigly. It was huge. So, now, I'm not sure where he's coming from politically. He just said something negative about Barack Obama, and then he said something negative about Donald Trump. I'll tell you where I'm coming from. God is the only one who is worthy of worship. God is the only one who is good all the time. God is the only one. Who can save sinners like us? And he came to do so. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Nobody's gonna get saved by politics. Nobody's gonna get saved by the military. I appreciate the military, I appreciate government. But it can't save anybody. Can't save anybody. Well, it can prolong life sometimes. So can the machine I was hooked up to, but I'm glad I'm not hooked up to it anymore. You understand? If we're going to be faithful in giving people the good news, we've got to do it in a biblical way, and that means being honest with people about the bad news. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Now the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Repent, therefore, and believe the gospel and forsake your sinful ways. He pleaded with them. He pleaded with them in Acts to turn away from their sin. Are we willing to do that? Or are we just going to be smiling faces that tell everybody it's okay. God loves you. God does love you. And that's why he's giving you the opportunity to repent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for loving us. It is amazing that you would do that. We know we don't deserve it. I pray that we know we don't deserve it. But I thank you that you love us anyway. I pray now that you would help us to repent and believe the good news, and then to share the good news, humbly, lovingly, forcefully, clearly, in the power of your Holy Spirit, calling people everywhere to repent and put their trust in you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.